Any of you noticed that uh, Jesus had a beard when he was born? <laughs> that disturb any of the rest of you? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I just want to take a couple quick minutes here and, and, and uh, kind of walk through a few things for you. Uh, remind us of why we're here tonight. Um, let, me, let me start by this. It's going to seem like an incredibly awkward transition, which I'm very good at. So, Names are very significant, right? And, and I think we need, need proof. If you need proof of the fact that names are very significant, you go ahead and try naming your baby girl the same name of a girl you dated in high school and see how your wife responds, <laughs> right? Or you try naming your baby girl the same name as a girl that was your wife's greatest rival in high school. See, see, see there's meaning that is carried with a name. Names are significant. The source of names is something that has fascinated me in the last couple of months, just kind of digging in and looking at it. And a lot of times it's not difficult to see where parents got their ideas. So this one kind of, I think they just lucked out on this one. This, this is a fireman and his, his name, whoops, never mind, Stephanie, can you hit that for me? <laughs> his name is Les McBurney. All right, but then, then maybe moms and dads have this desire. They, they, they think, we want my child to grow up to be a great Christian young man, right? And so they name him Christian Guy. Now, you can also see where some parents get their ideas, some of their idols growing up. I'm not sure what parent thought this was a good name. And it didn't go well for Mr. Donald, evidently. And here's a great one. I mean... You wondered, when you were growing up, watching all these child stars, where they ended up, well, we found the last missing one. Here's Christopher Robin. He's had a rough life. Very rough life. So, so the meanings of names and the source of names is interesting. So the source of our names, for many of us, if you go back through antiquity, what you find is, is, is a lot of our last names mean something. They came as a result of what we, our families did, right? So for me, I'm a tailor. So somebody in my heritage, at some point, mended some clothing, or weaver, it was somebody who put together some uh, fabric, or smith, smith, that's a metal worker, somebody who worked with metal, or perhaps you were one of the most popular people in your village if your last name was Baker, or even more popular, Bacon, <laughs> and then, of course, you may have not been quite as popular if your last name was Lynch. Um, is that too far? All right, I'll keep it. All right. In Bible times, names carried a certain significance. What they did for us in Bible times is they, they, most names spoke about God's purpose for somebody's life, what God had for them. So Adam, first man, Eve, the mother of all living, Abraham, the father of many nations, Benjamin, the son of his father's right hand, Moses being drawn out of water, Peter was a rock, Barnabas was the son of encouragement. So there's, there's names and meanings in Scripture, and tonight we want to look at one of the most meaningful ones, one of the most significant ones, significant ones in all of Scripture, and that is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So to understand Emmanuel, what you need to understand is kind of the background story in Isaiah chapter 7. So I'm just going to kind of walk you through that. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 tells us this. This took place during the reign of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah. So this story is happening in the life of this man named King Ahaz. King Ahaz is about 20 years old, 
And when you think about who Ahaz was and, and what is said about him, what we're told is he didn't do what was right in God's eyes. So when you hear that, your imagination usually will underperform. Okay, when you hear that the person didn't do what was right in God's eyes, you usually imagine way less. And this wasn't just an angry, obnoxious kid who didn't honor his elders. Okay, Ahaz was a man who encouraged people to sin. Parents, you know what that's like. So little Johnny grabs a marker and starts etching on the wall. Okay, that's one thing. It's a whole nother deal when he grabs little Susie and says, here's a marker, join me. And their artistic impressions cover the entire wall. So he's encouraging little Susie to take part in his bad behavior. Ahaz was somebody who tore pieces of the temple apart. He was somebody who put altars into the temple and offered false sacrifices on it. Ahaz was a man who sacrificed his own son in the fire to a pagan god. When it says that Ahaz was not someone who followed after God and didn't do what was right in God's eyes, they they mean it. Now, Ahaz is facing a a problem. They're under attack. So there's this Assyrian empire is now being born in the the east of the area, and they're rising up. This is the world's first superpower. They're the newest bullies in town, and they're taking over everything. And in their path, they're just leaving death and destruction everywhere they go. So Assyria is on the rise, and all the kings in the area are freaking out. So they're trying to figure out, so what what are we going to do? I mean, if Assyria attacks us, we're in trouble. And so what do you do as a king who is about to be attacked by a superpower, but you build relationships with other kings and other kingdoms, and you build an alliance? And so the nations in the area start an alliance, but there's one holdout. Go figure, it's King Ahaz. And the alliance, instead of just being like, ah, we'll just leave him alone, they turn on King Ahaz, and they decide that they're going to attack him now. That's a big problem because now Ahaz and his people are under the threat of Assyria and the threat of the alliance. And they're helpless on their own. They have absolutely nothing they can do to withstand the attacks that are certainly coming their way. But the story of Isaiah 7 and King Ahaz is that with God there is hope. God comes through the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz and says, I've got this. On your own, you're going to lose. You know it, your people know it. Isaiah, as it says this in verse 2, Isaiah 7, 2, says the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of the forest, shaking in the wind. But God says to him, listen, I, I know you're nervous. Trust me, I've got this. Look at verse 4, he says, stay calm, be quiet. Don't be afraid, don't be cowardly. Verse 7, this is what the Lord God says. It will not happen, it will not occur. But it doesn't seem like Ahaz believes him. So God says, Ahaz, I know you don't believe me. So why don't you go ahead and ask for a confirmation? Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 7. This is what God says to Ahaz. The Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Make it as difficult as you want. As high as the heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Ahaz, you you ask me for any sign. I will give you any sign you want. From heaven to hell, you cannot possibly ask too much. So put yourself in Ahaz's position. If God told you to ask him for a sign and you could ask him for anything, what would you ask for? Hair? Perhaps? Money? A restored relationship with somebody? Good health? God, God, if you've got this, then go ahead and do this for me. Now, I, I don't know 
what this is, is for you. And I don't know what you would ask for to fill that gap. But I rest, I'm certain you wouldn't follow Ahaz's example. Verse 12, the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Now, what you need to understand is that Ahaz is a terrible man, a horrible human being, who has violently offended God a number of times. And now when God comes to him and says, ask him to be a sign, he, he gains this sudden piety. Ahaz's response to God is a response of religion, not a response of faith. Let me explain that. Religion is the appearance of having a relationship with God. Faith is the substance of your relationship with God. Religion is, oh, I know the right answer, so I'm going to give it. Um, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And faith is, I don't have the answer, but I trust you, God. See, Ahaz's response was one of trying to give the right answer. I would never think to tempt God when his entire life has been nothing but a temptation of God's patience. And God says, fine. Ahaz, if you won't ask for a sign, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a sign so you know I've got this. I'm going to give you a sign so you know I've got you, that I am bigger than all of those that surround you. And the sign that I'm going to give you is going to be the solution to all of your problems. The sign is a baby. I'm going to give you a baby. A baby whose name will be not a family name, his name won't be one that comes out of those big, thick books, the 10,001 famous names for 2020. Now, this name is going to come, and it says this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In the middle of the helplessness, in the middle of the trouble, God promised not just to help Ahaz, he promised to be present with Ahaz. So there, there's, there's the story of Isaiah 7. In a nutshell, it's a rebellious king who faces insurmountable odds and great need, but refuses to trust the God who promises to rescue him. And I'm here to tell you this. The parallels between Ahaz's story and our story are remarkable. See, we're in trouble. Because every single one of us is a sinner. Oh, careful, it's Christmas! Ho, ho, ho! You said sinner! Okay, I will be careful, but I just want to show you. I mean, obviously the Bible says it. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God, but, but, but it also demonstrates it. So that the level of morality that God leaves for people is, is commonplace. We, we understand where it comes from. It's the Ten Commandments, right? And so the Ten Commandments, and I say, okay, so now what you need to do to, to, to evaluate if you're a sinner or not is take your life and hold the Ten Commandments next to it and see how it goes. And I know you're sitting there like, yes, I know I got one of them because I know I haven't murdered anybody. Okay, let, let's talk about this, though. I'm going to blow through them real fast. You shall have no other gods before me. So you love God more than anyone or anything else in the entire world. Because if that's not true, well, then you have another God in his place. Don't make false images of God. Well, good, I don't have false images in my backyard. Okay, so... Does the God that you believe in agree with you and think that you're right most of the time? If that's true, that ain't this God. You've created your own. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Good, I don't cuss, I don't swear. Oh, no, vain means empty. That means don't speak his name in an empty way. 
The biggest place we do that, unfortunately, is in our churches. We stand up and sing songs with the name of God in them and our brains aren't connected and so we are speaking it in an empty way. How about remember the Sabbath? Oof. Honor your mother and father. Case closed on that one, huh? Don't murder. Yes! No, Jesus said if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder. Don't commit adultery. Yes? Good, but Jesus says if you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Don't steal. Oh, I'm not a thief. Okay, how much time do you spend on Facebook at work? Oh, that one was a little too close to home. I heard some grumbles on that one. Sorry. I meant Instagram. That way all your Facebook people are okay. Don't bear false witness. Have you ever lied about somebody to elevate yourself? Don't covet. It's Christmas. That's all we do at Christmas. So how'd that go for you? Out of 10? See, what God has told us is that we're all sinners. We are in trouble. We are helpless to do anything about our sin ourselves. And like Ahaz, unfortunately, we continue to come up with our own solutions. We we try to fix our own broken lives. We try to improve ourselves. But what those solutions do is actually create a bigger mess because what we're doing is putting hope in ourselves We we try to pile good deeds as high as possible. But God has told us that our good deeds disgust Him because we're ignoring His solution. We're ignoring His provision of hope. So by, by offering our good deeds, we're telling God we know better. And we're missing out on real hope. Real hope is found in God and in the sign that He has given to each and every one of us. That sign that He has given us is the sign that He declared through the mouths of the angels to the shepherds in that field that night. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in clothes lying in a manger. And it would be just like us to doubt God's love and care for us. But God said, no, I'm going to show you my love and care for you. This is love, 1 John 4, 10. God loved us and sent his son. And that's the very picture of hope. So, so, so let's not respond to God's um, 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 hope, the, the, the gift that he has given to us with religious exclamations or activity this Christmas because it is everywhere around us. And let me give you a couple of quick examples of the religious exclamations that are not faith, they're just religion. Jesus is the reason for this season. Great. Is he? Keep Christ in Christmas. Absolutely. But where is he the rest of the year for you? See, see, the problem is we respond with these religious responses instead of responding in faith. And the faith looks like this. While you were a sinner... While you were shaking your fists in the face of the God who created you, instead of God just saying, I'm done, that's it, done. God loved you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. And Jesus Christ lived the life that you could never live because he lived it in perfection. And he died the death that you should have died. And then he gloriously was risen from the grave. And he conquered hell. He conquered sin. 
He conquered death all in one fell swoop. So you know why the angels and the heavenly hosts were so excited when they were like, glory to God in the highest! Glory to God in the highest! You know why they were so excited? Because they knew the manger wasn't filled with just a baby. They knew the baby's name was Jesus. And that name is significant. The name of Jesus is significant. It's not a magic wand. It's not something you just wave around or chant it and it gives you special powers. The power in the name is the person behind the name. So Jesus, that's going to be his name, the angel told Joseph. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. He's not just a great teacher. He's not a worker of miracles and loan. He's not a self-help guru. He's not just a self-esteem builder. He's not a political liberator. He's not a concerned, caring friend, and he's not a good example. He's the Savior of sinners. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. God showed up. God showed up to save us from ourselves. He showed up to, to break the chains of addiction. He showed, us, showed up to release us from the broken cycle of selfishness. He, he showed up to give us life. He has come to conquer every last enemy. And in so doing, He purchased your peace if you just accept Him. So, so this name, Emmanuel, is the name of Jesus. And it brings hope. So tonight, we light the last candle of Advent. It's the Christ candle. And it celebrates that the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, Emmanuel, has come for us. And He's offered us victory. And His name is Jesus. And that's why it's a Merry Christmas. Father God, I thank You for your love for us. I thank you for your gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that in Christ we actually have hope. Lord, I, I pray that in these moments as we close our time together, that we reflect on what it is that Jesus has done for us, that we would simply remember that he came for us, that he came to rescue us from sin, to redeem us, to reconcile us to God. God, I pray that we would remember that Jesus Christ laid down His life on that cross in our place, pushing us out of the way so that the wrath of God would be on His shoulders and not on ours. Lord, we, um, <laughs> I'm going to say thank You for Jesus, but that sounds way too cheap. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the hope of Emmanuel that in the darkest of darks, you showed up. You brought the light into the world and you've given with that hope, peace, and life. We thank you for Jesus.